and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Laura Perkis, a reporter at New Model Advisor. And this is the second episode of my new series, The Balance, where I speak to people from across the industry about challenges they're facing in their personal lives and how they're juggling this with their professional lives. So today I'm very excited to be joined by Beth Yates, personal wealth support at Schroeder's Personal Wealth, who's going to be talking to me about her experience with managing a chronic condition alongside her work. Hello, Beth. How are you Hiya. doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you for asking. Um, where are you based? I, I should have asked you earlier. Um, southeast, so by Portsmouth. Very nice. Not not in the London sprawl. Meaning no, I'm currently in Staffordshire. <laughs> Very good. Um, so for listeners, uh, when Beth was 13, she was diagnosed with a chronic illness that has had a lasting impact on her day-to-day life. Um, but I'm going to hand over to Beth because I'm sure you can explain this much better than I can, Beth. So can you, you know, give us an overview of your condition and how it affects your daily life? And, you know, tell us a bit about your journey from your diagnosis to where you are today. Thank you. Um, so when I was 13, I started just getting a bit poorly, really. Um, it started with frequent migraines and um, sort of being very, very exhausted um, to the point that my dad was convinced I was staying up all night on sort of my Nintendo DS or whatever and lying about it. And we had several arguments, me going, no, I'm just really tired, I promise. Um, and this went on for a few months and, you know, lots of doctor's visits. And I mean, they're quite generic symptoms. So there wasn't a lot of answers out there. We had a lot yeah. of a lot of diagnoses sort of thrown my way, um, but none of them seemed to offer any sort of relief or anything. And then slowly, as as I went through the months, I started um, experiencing a great deal of pain in one of my arms. It started in my shoulder joint and then um, in my elbow and wrist to the point that I was in so much pain in that arm, I simply couldn't move it. Um, I went to the doctors and they again gave me a number of diagnoses. But then what happened is the pain spread to my other arm and then eventually both of my legs. And so... I essentially ended up sort of nearly paralyzed <laughs> with pain yeah. um unable to move them at all and um in that sense got admitted to hospital of course parents took me to A&E and it was there that I got diagnosed with a number of conditions the main one being um ME ME is a fun one because it has a lot of different names depending on who one. you ask <laughs> yeah um it could be called ME it can be called CFS which stands for chronic fatigue syndrome mm-hmm. um there are also a couple of other names that they've been sort of workshopping recently. And the reason for that is ME is quite a not well understood illness. There's still a lot of research that needs to be done and a lot of research going into it. And as such, when it was originally named ME, it was named that way scientifically, but it's then been proven that it's not what they thought it was. Okay. So the name sort of is stuck amongst people that have it, but you will hear it referred to as a lot of different things. But yeah, so I was 13 in a hospital bed, unable to move when I was diagnosed with ME. Um, it was it was a very strange journey, a very scary one, of course, because we had no idea what was going on. Um, I was still a kid, really, at that point. <laughs> um, I'd, I had my mum stay in the hospital with me overnight because I didn't want her to go home. And then with the diagnosis came the knowledge that there was no cure, there was no treatment it was simply you have to learn to deal with it Um, and yeah so I then spent several years bed bound um several years wheelchair bound um I spent a long while sort of being unable to do anything 
myself I had to be if I needed to go to the loo someone had to take me and um, because my arms were so weak and in so much pain I couldn't even control the wheelchair myself there were periods where um, I'd lose the little movement that I did have in sort of my hands and wrists and my dad had to feed me like sort of open your mouth here comes the airplane type thing <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and I managed to regain some movement sort of managed to gain a bit of independence back on crutches and try and go back to normal life but it's not just pain it's a lot of neurological issues um really really severe fatigue dizziness migraines forgetfulness basically my whole head was jumbled so once I got relatively mobile I then had to battle with the neurological side and try and get back into sort of everyday life try and stay awake for more than an hour at a time and obviously during this time I missed a lot of school and education and such I just when you say chronic fatigue syndrome I had no idea I feel really ignorant but I had no idea that all of these other symptoms came with it I mean the pain I had no idea I mean is that is that part of the the ME side of it yeah so ME and chronic fatigue it's an exclusionary diagnosis and what that means is because there's no test for it because they haven't figured out what causes it as such and they haven't found like a marker for it they will just discount everything else that they can and then if you're still really poorly at the end they sort of go you must have ME just because they don't know enough about it and so I think there are a lot of people out there that perhaps have what we would call ME and it might be something else that we just haven't quite figured out yet Um, And there are a lot of people with really varying ranges of sort of um, effects. And you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people that don't experience the level of pain that I do. And there are a lot of people that experience milder symptoms. But also there are people that, you know, I know people with my condition that are fed through a tube. They can't have any sort of light, any sound. We're talking living in a black room. You know, mum, dad can't speak to them because it hurts so much. And it's, it's a really nasty one. And I think again going back to what I said about the naming convention it's why a lot of people don't like calling it chronic fatigue syndrome because yeah. I think with that comes the idea oh you're just a bit sleepy <laughs> and yeah. I would love it if that was it <laughs> yeah. but not quite <laughs> absolutely so you know when you received your diagnosis how did that feel was it more like relief at having a name or was it you know was it worse and worse than that worse, <laughs> worse to be diagnosed with it I suppose yeah it was an odd one because we were worried for a little while and obviously you know the onset of symptoms we'd been thrown so many you know was it meningitis was it a trapped nerve was it psychosomatic you know there were lots of options thrown about so it was a relief to have a diagnosis but it was probably one of the nastiest diagnoses in that it didn't give us anything I had a name but then no route forward and I think the as sort of the pain really came on and I ended up sort of unable to move it was a really quick onset over the course of a couple of days I went from being just a bit poorly to (laughs) being super poorly um so it was it was a very strange one but then with the diagnosis and the knowledge that you know this is for life (laughs) you just deal with it 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 almost took that freedom away from me because I suppose until we had that there was that naive hope that I could you know take a couple of tablets (laughs) and I'd be back to you know normal 13 year old Beth it's a very that's an overwhelming thing to be told, isn't it? That it's a lifelong Absolutely. thing you've got to deal with. So as a teenager, before you were diagnosed, you know, what what did you want to be when you grew up? What were your goals and ambitions? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go to uni. Uni was the only thing I cared about. Um, 
I think when, when you're when you're a child you can almost people get categorized quite quickly and I remember thinking of it as a child in school everybody had that one thing that was theirs you had yeah. people that were very good at sport you had the people that are very good at acting and singing and such and I was just very good at being book smart <laughs> I was good at taking <laughs> tests <laughs> and I was good at getting the results I wanted and as a such that was all I really cared about was being you know being able to go into uni I had plans to go to Oxford I am um, I've been taken on a trip there I've been shown around it was you know from the age from about year five people would go oh she'll end up at Oxbridge and it which looking back is a bit of a shame because it built me up mm-hmm. but that absolutely I think is where I would have gone I would have gone to study maths I would have gone on and done you know whatever but all of a sudden the one thing that I really cared about as an early teen was sort of my brain yeah. and it was taken away from me very very quickly so all of my plans all of my goals they were just gone it wasn't gonna happen (laughs) right so how did the yeah how did the diagnosis kind of change or reshape your ambitions what what did that feel like as well I think I think when I first got diagnosed it was a really tricky place because I lost my sense of self as well as being unwell you know and I (laughs) the diagnosis came with a a free psychotherapist um, as part of a part of the situation the NHS partnered me up with um, a therapist to sort of try and help me work through it and um, to explain a bit about how I felt about the diagnosis I think that first meeting 13 year old Beth sat in the wheelchair didn't make eye contact and refused to say a single word Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because I was a petulant teenager that just had everything taken away from me I didn't want to sit there and talk to someone about it and that was very much very much how it felt I just lost everything and it was very it was very depressing and just yeah and you know nobody wants to really have to be dressed and fed by their parents at 13 (laughs) um so the whole thing was it was a very dark time in my life which I don't think I realized then it was just life but looking back at it now I think it was yeah it wasn't nice not at all so did you ever imagine that you'd be working in a full-time job like you like you are now not in a million years <laughs> not at all I remember um coming out of hospital and trying to get back into sort of school and education and I was able to manage one half hour lesson a week with a home tutor and even then you know it, it wasn't very much as you can imagine so to come that far and then I tried to get into college a few years later and found myself really struggling taking a lot of time off I think my attendance reached a high of about 22 percent yeah woo go me so yeah million million miles away from what I thought I could do at 13 from what I thought I could do at 16 you know it's it's really quite humbling I guess when I think of where I was sometimes I take it for granted but I am you know so pleased that I'm able to do it because I never thought I'd be able to I mentioned earlier your journey I just want to touch back on that so I mean how have you how have you come from that half an hour a week to where you are now what's that involved I don't know really I think determination and spite (laughs) I think I'm just very very stubborn um it's it's difficult because everybody yeah everybody has different struggles and different you know symptoms and such and and Emmy CFS whatever you'd like to call it my lovely pick a mix of issues um, <laughs> they, they fluctuate I will have good weeks I will have good months I will have bad times and it, it is very sort of touch and go but I think a lot of it did come down to sheer determination 
in the in the beginning I think I probably gave up a bit I I just gave up and and I think I think it's really easy when you struggle with something like that like all day every day to give up and at a certain point if you're not if you're not fighting constantly you do find yourself stuck but it got to the point where I was fed up I think I wanted to be normal which was a naive hope because I know now I'll never be normal but um, I'm liberated Don't yeah worry. it's boring anyway <laughs> um yeah I think it's just a lot of determination and figuring out what works I have to be so careful with sort of being aware of my triggers and knowing if I do too much I'm absolutely gonna suffer <laughs> be it the next day the next week the next month so being really aware of it and sort of just acknowledging acknowledging my own shortfalls and working around that rather than I think once I stopped giving up I then tried to do way too much yeah and pretend I wasn't ill at all which went about as well as you can expect it to <laughs> yeah ignore the problem I'm yeah, a, I'm a, just I'm go familiar. away <laughs> so in your current role can you explain what you do as a personal wealth support at Schroeder's personal wealth <laughs> absolutely um, <laughs> lots of personal wealth there um does what it says on the tin really I am um, my job involves supporting our advisors doing the role that they do but then also supporting the clients and um, being there for them and my colleagues and just all round support. <laughs> so in what ways does your condition kind of interfere with your day-to-day in that role? Um, I think it it just interferes with my day-to-day. <laughs> um, I have to be very careful and very aware of you know how I'm feeling and what that might mean for my day I um I've learned through the years and I'm still trying to figure out how it affects my mood as well because um for someone that's in pain a lot of pain a lot of the time you will you I have a higher threshold than I did before <laughs> understandably but you reach that limit and I have to be careful that I'm very aware of you know how to manage that and how to make sure I'm not pushing myself too far and having that effect you know how I feel at work but also, I mean, I'm very fortunate that with the situation that we're in at the moment, you know, the flexibility we've got working from home, the best thing that ever happened to me, because it means I get to work about two metres away from my bed. Yeah. <laughs> so that lunch break naps are revolutionary <laughs> for someone with a chronic illness. And it's funny when you tell your colleague, I'm just going to go for a nap. <laughs> they sort of go, oh, OK, sure. <laughs> but that's Honestly, that's how I've coped, really. I think some of my colleagues do that anyway, and they don't have any <laughs> So. <laughs> it's good to know it's good to know it's not just me <laughs> so when when did you tell Schroeder's personal wealth about your condition and what was the, the reaction like um shortly after I was hired I think I just had just had that conversation with my line manager just to almost let him know um mm-hmm. because I've been very fortunate that I've you know tried not to have any time off or anything like that and instead sort of manage it rather than yeah. be reactive trying to be proactive with it and I think it was just having that conversation to make sure they were aware and you know if occasionally I needed perhaps time for a doctor's appointment or if I was just feeling a little bit quieter because I was struggling that day just to give them some sort of background to it and um yeah it was it was really nice to be fair the reaction because it was just one of understanding and but also not understanding because I think until <laughs> you meet someone with it you don't really have much of an idea but also at the same time you know you could you might tell me your sister has it and she would have a totally different experience to me so it's I think it was just being there and asking the questions and that's what's so important so that I can then tell them what works for me and what doesn't and how it affects me yeah good 
So before you before you got the job, when you were applying for jobs, was that was that a concern? Were you worried about having to tell potential employers about your condition? Did you ever think it might prevent you from being offered a job if you said something? Um, I think that worry's always going to be there. I mean, I'm really lucky that it would have been totally unfounded at Shoda's Personal Wealth, but you, you will always have that concern because there are always those sort of connotations and that sort of unconscious bias around it, mm-hmm. especially when I was younger. Um, because there was such a gap in like my education and stuff and you're very aware that someone would might look at my cv and think how she only got two exam grades (laughs) so because I passed out in the other ones that's why (laughs) Um, and and perhaps you know again when I was younger I would perhaps start a job and then have to cut down on hours or something while I learned what I could do and it was just very aware that it can affect that history and you know it's not a question you really want to have to answer in an interview in case it does affect you in that sense um yeah. I'm in a more fortunate position now that I do have you know job history behind me I've managed to keep one down and such so it's not something that would ever necessarily be picked up on straight away and once I've almost you know got a job for instance I can then say oh by the way I come with this <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I think I think it's scary and I think it's the same for anyone with any sort of chronic condition be it a mental health um condition physical or anything like that because you don't want to ever have that affect the opportunities you're offered yeah absolutely so Schroeders have been great about it which is great to hear so what kind or can you give some examples of the kind of support that you get from Schroeders personal wealth and what they do that helps you manage your condition Absolutely. I mean, um, like I said previously, I've been quite fortunate recently where, you know, I've just got a better handle on it. And touch wood, fingers crossed and all of that. <laughs> I'm not struggling too much at the moment. That may change tomorrow, but at the moment I'm managing to tick by. So I haven't needed any almost direct support in that sense. But what's really great is I know that it's there. Um, Shows Personal Wealth, we've got a disability awareness network that I'm a part of. And that's just so incredible that, you know, we've got a group of people together talking about, you know, disabilities, be they visible or invisible and sort of trying to work, you know, in a corporate setting on how to just build that awareness and make everybody a little bit more comfortable with it. Because I think, you know, it can sometimes be a bit of a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've obviously got those people there and that that network contains people with disabilities, without allies and such. And um got some amazing HR people you know that I've worked with we've looked at the well-being policy and such and there's just so much support there although I haven't needed it it, I wouldn't bat an eyelid about knowing where to go and also just you know line managers that are so understanding and that will you know let let me say just go for a nap (laughs) or or I need to take it a little bit easier today because I'm struggling for instance and it's just that that understanding and being the big thing is feeling comfortable to have that conversation and that's Mm -hmm. what everybody needs I think absolutely um you talked a bit earlier about you know when you were first diagnosed that it affected your mental health um do you ever still feel like it does do you ever you know have down days oh a hundred percent absolutely um yeah it it was yeah it was really bad in the beginning understandably because it was all still new but it, it can be hard to keep a positive spin on things um, I always laugh that I'm a cynic anyway. I don't think anyone that knows me would call me particularly positive. <laughs> but you do need to have that, that you know, positive, for lack of a better word, outlook on things, because otherwise it can just, you know, get on top of you. And I think there are times where I've perhaps worked a bit too hard and put myself under too much strain that I then find myself, you know, in agony or my head's pounding. And and it's it's almost that short-term mental health. I don't want to 
don't want to be going about my day feeling angry because I'm angry because I'm in pain and it's like a psychological reaction <laughs> and it's just being really aware of it and I think absolutely my mental health there if you had a line graph it would absolutely tally with how I'm feeling <laughs> physically with how I'm feeling mentally um but it comes down to that awareness and and also self-awareness like being aware of what my triggers are and knowing actually I'm really cranky today because <laughs> yeah. my arm feels like it's on fire <laughs> so just being aware of that and trying to sort of battle the pain but also battle the mental anguish for lack of a better exactly. word and and you know yeah and there have been times especially in my personal life where if I've been in particular pain I can find myself snapping at people and it's not meant in that way but you know if you just sort of imagine if you ever stubbed your toe and someone goes are you okay and you're like I'm fine go away oh yeah talk to me right now (laughs) sometimes I can have that for hours on a time and it's being aware that you know sort of breathe through it (laughs) breathe through the pain and engage the brain absolutely they they kind of go hand in hand and I think when yeah. you have a a physical condition that's what people kind of focus on yeah and it is kind of being aware that they do go hand in hand absolutely absolutely um so why do you think it is you know so important for companies to be supportive and empathetic to staff managing a chronic condition and you know and also on on their mental health as well yeah I just think it's it's so paramount because at the end of the day you know with people too (laughs) um and I think a lot of people will panic that if you've got a chronic condition be it mental physical or a combination of the both that people will see sort of less of you you'll have less of an opportunity and you may not be able to achieve as such but I, I don't think it makes us any different to anybody but also I mean I would say I'm a million times more resilient now more determined you know I'm sort of far more ready to battle anything out than I might have been before so it's just making sure that you know those of us that do have those ongoing things in the background we're just comfortable to talk about them and have those adaptions made I think the worst thing that could happen in any company is someone be scared to come forward to say that they're struggling absolutely that then leads to you know absences it leads to things getting worse and it's just having that open discussion and and just it comes back to the awareness piece there has been some really fabulous work everywhere at the moment around mental health awareness it's so great to see you've got you know big ceos talking about it you've got it really ingrained in the company culture but i think potentially there's a bit of work to do around physical health because now we've we've gone really hard on the mental health and it's amazing but perhaps you've got people that are more comfortable talking about mental health than to say I've got a really bad migraine or you know I'm in agony today I'm really struggling and it's we need we need that culture to be extended not just to whatever might be the in thing at the moment that culture needs to go across everywhere so that they're comfortable talking about any aspect of well-being and I think that's that's what you know potentially may need work on in the wider industry every company really like I said really fortunate SPW you know it's great and I feel like I could talk to anybody about anything (laughs) but that may not be the same for other people elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So you have been very open about your experience on social media which is actually how I found you. Um, so, I mean, why, yeah, why do you think it's so important for other people, people with these conditions to be raising awareness as well as just companies, you know, raising awareness of it among their staff, you know, putting I, yourself out there? Yeah, I think it, it's a real weird one for me because I'm such an open person and I always talk far too much about far too much <laughs> of everything. But, um, but even I sometimes can find myself struggling to talk about it because it makes me feel vulnerable and it makes me feel 
you know less than and you don't ever want to be known as the disabled one <laughs> and not even necessarily consciously but you don't just want to be oh Betty oh yeah she's she's on all the issues <laughs> and and that can stop me from talking about it and and I have to consciously really decide to not let that stop me and I think you know for my own sake but also other people's because there will be people out there that perhaps haven't been as fortunate as me when it comes to you know the support in the workplace or the support you know with their family and friends and that's why talking about it is so important and you know to come back to what you said earlier on and you know this is nothing against you but you just weren't quite aware of you know the effect that CFS I mean could have Absolutely. on somebody and that's just it there are there are a lot of conditions that people aren't aware of whereas you know there are some that someone might mention and you go oh yeah I absolutely know what diabetes is like I get that lots of people have that whereas you know ME people go is that like MS I'm like well, <laughs> different acronym no <laughs> um and, and, yeah <laughs> it's got the same letter in it it'll be fine um, and I think that's where the awareness piece comes in and also just being open and honest about the fact you know sometimes I need to remind myself that I have come really far when I am struggling and also just to my hope is that someone just one person reads some of the rubbish I post about being ill <laughs> and and think and just it makes them feel a bit more secure in the fact that they might be struggling too and they might you know be at the beginning of their journey and really struggling to find their feet and find you know where they are in their career with it and how that how that translates you know who who is who is chronically ill best if you've only ever known your previous regular bed mm -hmm. and so that's why I just think it's so important to be open about it and the more people talk about it the less taboo it will be and I mean I've had conversations with people and they sort of they panic about what to say and they're like with your um, um you know you've got that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like it's okay to say condition or illness or you know I'm classed as disabled it's okay to say that and it's okay to ask questions and it's just the more people feel comfortable talking about it and asking me about it the more they'll learn and the more they'll be able to look after me and I'll be able to perform at my best for them but also you know in a personal aspect as well you know it, it would be very hard to be my friend unless you were ready to sort of potentially carry my bag sometimes mm -hmm. <laughs> or take a break if we're walking somewhere because I can't walk very far at all without it hurting Sounds good. and um <laughs> and that, it sort of it comes as part parcel and you know in my personal life people do need to be aware that I may disappear for three hours to have a nap <laughs> it's just life mm -hmm. um so just yeah raising that awareness just makes helps make me feel a little bit more normal because people accept it and I'm not having to explain myself constantly and that as much as I love educating people you don't want to have to justify every action you take in life yeah. whereas if somebody knows that I have these difficulties you know I don't have to justify the fact I need 10 minutes or yes you've just watched me take six tablets <laughs> or something like that and I yeah it's just the awareness piece is so important to me absolutely um, I'm going to turn this back on myself then. I'm very aware that uh, I've just been saying condition all the way out through, all the way through this and hadn't thought to check that with you, but so I'm glad that that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to turn this back on myself and journalism as a whole. I was going to say the financial press, but just all press, you know, um, put them under the spotlight here. What more do you think we could be doing or, or could be doing better to help raise awareness of chronic conditions and, and the impact on working in day-to-day -day life? Um. I mean, this definitely helps. So brownie points for you. <laughs> you know, I think people are going to get sick of me saying the word awareness, but it's just talking about it. And 
making it more acceptable you know realistically do people know very many people with a chronic condition you know if if you've never sort of had that conversation with someone and you don't know anybody with it it can be very odd and it used to be a joke amongst me and my family that once I was diagnosed with ME all of a sudden everybody's mum sister aunt had something similar and it was a joke where were these people before I was diagnosed and the answer was they were there but we just weren't listening for it, if that makes sense. We may have yep. we may have heard it in conversation, we may have heard about their struggles, but it just went over our heads because we didn't care. And that sounds really horrible, but looking back, that's potentially, you know, it didn't it didn't resonate with us. It had nothing to do with us. Whereas now you sort of hear someone say, Hey, just something about, oh, they've had a couple of doctor's appointments recently, or something like that. And you can start to pick up on those clues that perhaps they have got something else going on. And that's not to say to quiz everybody you know. <laughs> But just, you know, it, it made us more aware. And all of a sudden, like I said, you know, there were lots of people out there with my condition or similar conditions that we were able to connect with. And it became far more normal in my world for someone to be dealing with something in the background. Whereas, you know, perhaps someone who doesn't have that exposure thinks it's quite odd that there's people out there. And there's far more than anyone would ever know. And I think it's just bring it to the forefront. And I'm not a fan of the word normal, but you know there's not a great number of synonyms to use <laughs> but making it a bit more normal so that if you know perhaps there is a press piece on someone you just talk about the fact that they live with it and it's just you know they've got brown hair they've got lupus like it just happens normally like I know um celebrity wise you have I think Lady Gaga um has something a chronic illness and like Selena Gomez I think has lupus yeah, or lupus, something yeah and and I know that because I think I probably I saw it and honed in on it because I'm like oh they're like me <laughs> whereas perhaps someone else might not be aware of that because they may have seen it and just glossed over it and stuff but whereas if we bring that into the normal conversation that actually you know these people do have these illnesses this person's diabetic this person has lupus and that's and that's fine and taking away the negative power of it because I think sometimes people can think of it as like a label and but actually, you know, to me, it's the same as me having dark hair, me wearing glasses. I also have a chronic condition. It's just part of the parcel and just making that a bit more, a bit more normal, a bit more average, I guess. Yeah, it's absolutely what you said. It's seeing someone else and thinking they're like me. Yeah. And then suddenly you feel you feel normalised. I know I yeah. don't like the word normal, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it normalises it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's it's also the whole, you know, it doesn't unless it affects you you don't care about it you know and, yeah and then when it affects only when you it affects you do you start caring and it, it shouldn't have to take that no and, it, and it's, it's horrible to say it like that but it is the truth and I hold my hands up myself and you know my parents as well there was I think if we go back to the 80s which is way before I think our time um <laughs> <laughs> but there were some connotations around Emmy and there were probably some news articles that because even back then there was even less research into it there was the argument that perhaps it wasn't quite real maybe it was all in their head maybe it was a convenient excuse to get out of work and such and I think if it was that I would not be working as hard as I am at the moment (laughs) but because of that then there was that idea and that negative press around it when I was diagnosed my father who is you know of that generation he went really that but then all of a sudden you know he's having to wheel his daughter everywhere it very quickly changes his perspective because it was someone he cared about and was really close with and mm-hmm. and again I wouldn't I wouldn't blame that on him and you know there are a lot of people out there that have that same 
that same idea and yeah it's just being unaware and if it doesn't affect you why does it why does it matter and but that it revolves into all aspects of life people outside of the financial industry may not think to listen to this podcast because it may not be something that you know just sort of focuses on them in the same way I wouldn't probably read anything about architecture because it would mean nothing about me however it's tapping into that empathetic side of ourselves and actually saying I may not have a mental health condition I may not have a chronic health condition but I'm more likely to come across someone that does than perhaps come across an architect (laughs) so very random example I've used (laughs) but um but just yeah trying to learn more about it so that you are prepared in that way to look after you know friends family acquaintances colleagues because it shouldn't take it someone being in your immediate circle for it to matter I'd like to think now that you know I'm equipped that anybody walks up to me in the street or I meet someone at work I'm ready to have that conversation with them and be understanding and help them on their way and it would be nice if we got to you know a part of the world where it's not just perhaps your immediate team that know about things and you know just just having that support there I guess and caring about people that you don't have to (laughs) absolutely um I want to come back to sort of managers because I know probably quite a lot of business owners listen to this podcast you know (laughs) oh hundreds hundreds of thousands (laughs) everyone very famous very big deal um (laughs) what would you say to someone that is actually considering hiring someone with a chronic condition um do it (laughs) as long as they're the right fit for the job um (laughs) I think you almost have to you have to discount it in one way that pretend it's not there you know take you know look at them on their merits and stuff but also you also need to take it into consideration because like I alluded to earlier, they may have gaps in their resume. They may have, you know, issues, perhaps, you know, they had a lot of sickness at their past job and it's about, you know, taking that head on and sort of acknowledging, well, why was that? And was it perhaps through less that, you know, you don't want to go to work and more that maybe you didn't have the support that you needed. You didn't have that awareness there. And I think, you know, everybody is different, but you know some of the people I know are the toughest most determined people you ever meet in your life because they've had to push through so much that to to sit down with everything going on and you know your body feels like there's fire ants crawling all over it your head's pounding and you're still sat there going I want to go to work today why would you not want someone like that someone who has that commitment and it's just and I think people might panic about you know amendments that need to be made and but they shouldn't come into it it should never come into it you know a everywhere should have a ramp from wheelchair accessible anyway just my opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> but that shouldn't you shouldn't yeah you shouldn't ever think oh we'll have to widen the doorways do it do it you should have had widened doorways anyway to get the wheelchair through but also you know oh well she's, she's got chronic fatigue you know she might not be able to work well I'll just you know start a bit later work a bit later I'll take a longer lunch break have a longer nap and work a little bit later there are so many ways to combat it and I'm hoping that with I'm hoping that something good comes out of Covid in that we have we have noticed a large flexibility all of a sudden things have been adapted for people and and let's really keep that and I think it's it's a really emotive subject for me because the world has opened up for people that are chronically ill people that are bed bound and stuff you know they've never been able to experience a concert or a gig in perhaps decades but because of covid everything went online and you've got people that haven't seen a gig in years that watch a musical theater on their ipad because covid has made them go online and the world has opened up and i i dread to think that those people will be forgotten when everything goes back to normal like let's keep that accessibility let's keep that 
virtual access you know the working from home for people that you know I was never able to uh, in previous jobs never able to do that but maybe you know when we're back in the office I can say I'm feeling really bad I'm not up to the travel can I stay home and just having that that ability to do everything and I think it just I really hope it stays and I really hope that people pay attention to it and yeah leave the world open to those that doors have been closed to before I think that's been really overlooked actually like that not just that it's you know opened up flexible working and that's great for mums and all that those you know wonderful for everyone but especially for people who yeah have genuinely struggled to have to go into the office because of their health and that this is now actually they can work as effectively but in a way that's better for them yes and you know the whole personal through work everything it just the whole world has changed for the better and let let's keep it let's not forget about people and I there's I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen the articles there's a new thing out there they're calling long covid yeah which i think is a really flashy new title for something a lot of us she says pointing at herself <laughs> have already got it's just a long-term chronic illness and 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 there is that hope there that that research into long covid and you know and perhaps we're probably in a situation now where some people would be able to go to their manager and if they said i've got long covid the manager goes oh yes i've read about that but if they went, I've got ME, they'd go, um. <laughs> and so I am hoping that everyone learns about it. And yeah, I hate to say that something good has come out of COVID, but I think it might have the flexibility and just giving people that access. And there will be business owners and there'll be hiring managers that have never even considered anything like that before. But now actually, you know, if you know that you've got staff that can work from home, why not perhaps hire someone that is bed bound? Because if they can work on the laptop, why does it need to be at an office? if they can do it at home so yeah just do it just give us a chance (laughs) absolutely and I suppose a lot of other people that will be listening if they're not business managers or owners or hiring managers they're colleagues and they could be colleagues of someone who is struggling with a chronic illness so what advice would you give to them you know to help them support a a colleague who might be struggling just feel comfortable talking to them about it and I think it's worth pointing out not everyone's is um I mean, some people like to say eloquent, other people like to say gobby. <laughs> not everybody is as talkative as I am and not everyone will want to be open with you and that's okay. But I think it's just being there in case they do and just checking in on them. And I think one of the hardest questions to be asked when you're chronically ill is, how are you? You right? And I will say yes every time. I might have been in tears 10 minutes earlier from pain, you know, and sort of, I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> because... Yeah, nobody really wants to be that person that every time you check in I go I'm in agony thanks for asking or my head's pounding thanks for asking but it's I know there's a campaign around mental health that I think it just comes back to just ask twice and it's almost being that being more aware a if you already know that they have got something going on being extra aware but even if you don't know you know if you think someone might be struggling and you've asked and they said yeah I'm fine maybe just you know going back going are you sure you don't seem okay are you sure I can't help in that sense and I think yeah it's just being comfortable I mean when I was in my wheelchair people would people would just panic they'd malfunction something in their brain didn't work right and I was no longer a human you know I used to um, my dad would take me out of the wheelchair and family members would come up to us they'd look him in the eyes and they'd go how's Beth and I'd be right here (laughs) right here it's about two feet lower than you would expect um but and and people just you know struggle when they don't want to talk about it and 
And I think it comes from a good place of not wanting to offend people, but it doesn't really have a great effect because all of a sudden people are scared to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, it's getting past that and just making sure that, you know, you're ready to talk to someone, but also, you know, there's nothing stopping you from doing your own research and understanding it a little bit more. You know, if you have got a colleague with Juzemi, for an example, and, you know, they always joke about being tired. And I'll always be like, oh, I'm going to go have a nap. Um, you know, maybe just do that little bit of research and realise that I might be in agony when you talk to me. Or I might you know, I might be really dizzy. I might be literally exhausted. And, and just having that awareness there, you know, there's nothing stopping. I'd like to think if someone said to me, oh, I've got X, Y, Z and I wasn't familiar with it. I'd sort of just read up on it just for my own, you know, just for my own reasoning so that I know, you know, what they might be dealing with and how I might be able to help them with that be it too much screen time or whatever and just yeah I think just making yourself a bit more comfortable with what is currently a taboo subject and especially the d word disabled people they choke over that all of the time (laughs) and um and obviously we laughed about it earlier I'm absolutely fine if someone's saying you know condition illness whatever they like but there might be some people that aren't and I guess it's being brave enough to go into it and sort of say you know in what condition do you have and if they come back and go I don't really like calling it that be okay with that and just take it on the chin you know they're not I'd like to think they're not having a go at you they're just letting you know that maybe they don't like being referred to as disabled maybe they don't really like to and that's fine everybody is different and it's having we there's a lot of you know there's a lot of talk at the moment, like I said around mental health and recently there's been a lot of work around sort of being comfortable with conversations about race and inequality and I think it all it all fits to all sort of aspects all diversifications just be comfortable to have that conversation you know perhaps be corrected if you do you know take the wrong step but no one's ever going to hold it against you forever and it's being brave enough to try and communicate (laughs) absolutely I I now going on what we just said I'm going to ask if you if you're okay how are you feeling I'm ticking by um yeah there it's been a difficult time for me personally recently I just think with everything um mentally I've had my down days physically I've had my days where it's just been harder than most and that can stem from can stem from anything it can stem from something upsetting me which then makes my mental and physical health worse it can stem from something making my physical health worse which makes my mental health worse but like we said it comes in a package deal I'm I'm doing okay and ticking over but there have been days where I sort of you just sort of talk to someone and you think am I gonna cry I'm not sure why I'm gonna cry but I might cry <laughs> and I think it's because I'm oh, a bit no. of a cry baby anyway you but and, but you do you just have those days and I think even on those days if someone asked me I'd probably just say yeah, I'm fine so it, it's both sides of the spectrum I need to work on it as well I need to work on being a little bit more honest with it and you know I don't want to be seen as the Debbie Downer but at the same time actually saying do you know what I'm really struggling today couldn't tell you why just a bad day in general and I yeah it, it it's work to be done on both sides I think do you know what sometimes if I'm feeling down and I ask someone how they are and they say fine I then feel like I have to say I'm fine whereas if you all <laughs> admitted that you weren't feeling great we could all talk about it yeah <laughs> yeah you sort of go me too I'm so glad let's you yeah. know Whereas, we're all happy good <laughs> there is that pressure there isn't there because you just don't you don't want to burden people do you I think that's yeah. it you don't want <laughs> the last thing you want is someone to ask and you go actually no and just sort of word vomit on them and then be going oh my god I can't believe we got into this <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> and I think that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what sort of stops you from answering. But I think it also, you know, on that case, I would say only ask if you're ready to hear the right answer, like the honest answer. If you're only looking for it, I'm fine. Don't ask. And because and, how many times have you received an email that goes, hi, Laura, hope you're well. Can you do this for me? And I think, do you care if I'm well? Or are you just saying that because it sounds polite? And I would like I would like to get out of the, the fake well wishes. <laughs> Let's see if you're going to do, are you okay? P.S. Can you send this email? Be ready for me to go, no, I'm not okay. And here's why. <laughs> Very good. I think I saw Paul Lewis, if you know Paul Lewis, the financial journalist. He did tweet a while ago, like, I wish people would stop saying hope you're well. And it got a Twitter storm of people saying, what am I supposed to say instead? And at the time I was kind of like, yeah, just don't don't say anything. I don't know. We've been ingrained to say I mean, I'm, well. <laughs> I'm guilty of it. I do it all the time because it's yeah. almost polite. But I think it comes from I'm quite a straightforward person. And if I if I need something from someone, I would much rather go, hi, Laura, do you have access to this? Can you send it across to me? Whereas I know people don't not everyone likes that. So I have to go. Hi Laura, hope you're well. Lovely day we're having. Very sunny outside. P.S. If you get a second, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's that sort of politeness. And I suppose I do understand it, and I really do. And perhaps I might continue saying it, but I'm confident saying it because I know that I'd be there if someone answered it. Do you see what I mean? I'm 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 allowed because <laughs> I'm allowed because I know that I'd be there to have that conversation if someone came back. I went actually no, I'm not very well. But I think it's, you know, if you are going to open that conversation up, because then it would mean people would feel more comfortable talking, knowing that you were genuine in your question, you you know, really cared about them, rather than just wanted to butter them up so they would do something for you. Absolutely. I feel like I've gone off, uh, taking you off on a massive tangent about um, wishing people well. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you, I know that you're studying for your diploma in financial planning, which I'm also studying for, but I think you're miles ahead of me. So uh, how many exams have you passed now? Um, well, it depends on where you go, oh, you're not miles ahead. I've passed two, <laughs> two out of six. Um, how many are you on? I've passed one, so you're beating me. <laughs> so we're not too far. Um, and yeah, just something like that has been an interesting journey for me because I sort of struggle to do work sometimes to then take the yeah. extra time to study. It's amazing. <laughs> I went through, I managed to get the two of them passed in a gap of about three weeks. Wow. Them out, thought I was a god and I'd really got this nailed and I then haven't been able to do anything in three months because I've been I've been too unwell I haven't had the capacity to finish work and then open the book and most of my Saturdays I spend about eight hours sleeping so <laughs> there's not a lot of time in between that to study so I'm very much at the, at the the dip at the moment I'm hoping it will fluctuate back up and I'll feel powerful and amazing and I can do it again but I think also that probably is the same for people without chronic illnesses as well, because studying is not fun. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, I, I, we joked just before we started the podcast that I could ramble for an hour and have rambled for an hour. And we've almost rambled for an hour. So to wrap up, I'm going to wrap <laughs> up now. So what are your plans for the rest of 2021? Carry on to tick over, to survive, to do what I can and then try and do a little bit better. And I think that that's all I can do. I will find my threshold. I will always push myself a little bit past it because that's who I am as a person. <laughs> but hopefully as long as I can just keep ticking over, those are my plans for 2021. <laughs> it's a grand plan. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much, Beth. Uh, we'll leave it there at 
a good 50 minutes of rambling. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and for being so candid and open about your condition. And thank you everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch about anything you've heard today, you can reach us on any social media at New Model Advisor. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your day and thanks for listening. Thank you.